Can you imagine what it's like to run out of air 150 feet deep? That's the way it was for me this morning when I woke up and wasn't able to talk. I don't normally sound like this. and I'm doing this and then a panel and then a TV interview, but I'll see how long I can continue. I uh, have just retired from teaching at Texas A&M University for 25 years, and I have to just tell you that I cannot possibly imagine a more rewarding career than the one that I've had. And so I have some thoughts about how it came about, and I've been struck by listening to the various speakers. There's a common thread that runs through a lot of what's said about luck, but of course it's what you do with the luck, about innate ability, and of course it has to do with what you do with innate ability. And um, as a teacher, one of the things that, that makes me happiest is not just what I've accomplished, but when I turn on television and see a two-hour National Geographic special on the Confederate submarine Hunley, which has just been raised from the deep, and see that the director of the project and the chief archaeologist of the project and two of the other archaeologists and one of the divers, they're all products of our program at Texas A&M that I founded 25 years ago. That makes you feel good, too. Not just what you do yourself, but what the next generation will do. Now, how do you choose your field? Because I've been uh, talking to some of you and you don't know exactly what you're going to do with your life. One of my sons asked that me once, how, how will I know what it is I really want to do? And I said, I think it's sort of like when you look at the person and you decide, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. It's just a, a chemical feeling that happens. For example, uh, it was pointed out that I was an English major and I was, had my sophomore year at the University of Exeter. And um, I had this vacation, as the handout said. Well, that's a euphemism. Actually, I had been rusticated, um, suspended, expelled from the <laughs> University of Exeter um, for a, a, an ingenious, harmless prank, but nevertheless, it was not uh, smiled upon. So I had nothing to do for a month, and so I ended up going with some Rhodes Scholars from Oxford down to Sicily. Now, the difference is we all saw the same remains. We saw the same ruins, the same theaters, uh, the same temples. But they went back and became, at least one became a physics professor, another did something else, whereas I went back to, and found out I was no longer reading Virginia Woolf and, and Milton and, and Dickens and the things I should have been doing, I was reading all the little books on archaeology, and I switched. And so uh, since then I've been in archaeology, but it's not been a direct route, and this is where teachers play a role. I, um, in 1953, when I was just 20, with almost no money, sleeping in park benches and third-class uh, uh, railway luggage racks and so forth, I went to Ankara, Turkey and back from England. And um, I, for the first time, saw real poverty. I saw people who had been jailed uh, for speaking their political beliefs in Yugoslavia. And I thought, it's so self-indulgent to be an archaeologist. You know, this is just like being paid to, to do a hobby. This, I, I can't do this. And so I switched my major to political science. Well, when I was taking economics and so forth, my grades plummeted. Uh, my professor of archaeology came to me and he said, what kind of world would it be if everybody had a loaf of bread on the table, but there were no novels, no plays, no ballet, no museums, no art? You can be a good archaeologist. You should come back and do what you do best. So that's one of the things about innate ability that you should, if you have innate ability for something, do the best you can at it. I'd wanted to be a violinist. When I finished the Peabody Conservatory uh, Preparatory Department, my teacher very politely, politely told me how difficult it would be to make a living as a musician, which is, was saying I did not have the innate ability at that. So it doesn't mean that you're a loser because you can't, if you start off in engineering and you're not doing well at it, you know, find something else. There's, uh, there's some other things that have happened to me in my life. One is, is the ability to take a little bit of a gamble 
uh, I left a wonderful job at the University of Pennsylvania to go out on a limb with no source of funding or anything, with two children and a, a wife who were very they were supportive, obviously, to um, form a private institute of nautical archaeology. And uh, we went through a war in Cyprus, and we almost failed. But now we're spread out, and we're working around the world, and it's been very successful. But uh, so take a gamble, but a wise gamble. Don't don't make the gamble foolishly. Work hard. Uh, choose people that are better than yourselves if, for your assistance. For example, uh, I know people that started out in underwater archaeology at the same time as I am that never amounted to anything. They were always choosing hangers-on, people that would just sort of do what they were told. I want somebody that can draw better than I can, who can publish better than I can, who can fix machinery better than I can. I want a group of people smarter than I am to, uh, to, to work. There's another thing that uh, I, I noticed uh, in one of the write-ups for one of the awardees uh, this time is that is the uh, willing to face a little bit of ridicule if you're a pioneer. It was an uphill battle to be treated seriously. I mean, I remember uh, some of my group had troubles getting jobs because we were dismissed as those skin divers, as if our work wasn't really scholarly. But that finally has turned around, and our students now from our program at Texas A&M going for their doctors at Johns Hopkins, Princeton, Berkeley, Michigan, because it, it's a very highly respected field now. But for maybe 20 years, it was an uphill battle. But we persevered, and um, even though we were sometimes ridiculed for being these people that go off and swim in the Mediterranean and have fun in the summer. Well, um, I've got a few minutes. Uh, let me see. I've, I just wrote down some notes to Oh, yeah, there's one other thing that, that happened along the way. I was very fortunate that uh, a few years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, I was one of the National Geographic Centennial Award uh, awardees. Uh, there were 15 of us. And we were asked to make just two minutes of comments uh, at the end before we, when we accepted our award. And I hadn't prepared anything in advance. I just kept sitting at the head table looking around me, and I wondered, what do we have in common? One thing is, of course, people that read our geographic articles think that we can do all these wonderful things. They don't see us when we're worried about how to raise the funds or get the permit or put together the staff. But the other thing I noticed, and I pointed it out at the time, was that virtually everyone there had taken their personal adventure and made it something permanent. For example, Jane Goodall had made the foundation for the study of, of primates. Uh, Hillary had made a foundation for the Sherpas. Uh, Cousteau had made the Cousteau Society. Bob Ballard had made the Institute for uh, Exploration, and uh, so on down the line. There weren't people that simply rode across the Atlantic once and then said, okay, that's, I'm going to rest for the rest of my life on doing that. Okay, I have uh, just uh, two minutes, and I'm going to show four slides. If I could have the lights down because it's part of the story. I thought you might get a kick out of it. I um, got married in 1960 uh, and headed off for Turkey immediately where my, my wife Ann went back to the Eastman School of Music to finish her master's degree. And uh, we searched along the coast there and we made a little camp just where you see those uh, fishing boats. And we lived there for three months. Well, when Ann came over, she assumed wherever her wonderful husband was going to take her, she would maybe not have a baby grand piano, but at least a, uh, a, 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 an upright. So she had two suitcases, one of music and one of clothes, and the next slide shows her arrival to see where she would uh, spend the next three months on her honeymoon. Uh, there was not quite enough room inside for the uh, piano, and, uh, but that's where we were. Then, then I'll just show you a picture of what happens underwater, and uh, this is a 3,300-year-old 3, shipwreck. It's the oldest shipwreck that's been excavated. It was a royal ship 
We raised 20 tons of cargo, and it's really rewritten a lot of the history of the Bronze Age. It shows the Semitic presence in the Aegean, which had been ignored. And again, I was ridiculed when I published articles on this 40 years ago, and now it's accepted by almost everyone because uh, of the shipwrecks we've done. And then the last slide shows that even when you retire, I say I retired, I've never been busier. We've just acquired this <clears throat> two-person submersible, and right now I'm working to get a seagoing ship that will take it to the Red Sea, the Black Sea, anywhere in the Mediterranean. Uh, because our institute now is working in Malta, Georgia, Bulgaria, Malta, uh, Israel, Egypt, Turkey, and uh, Portugal and Morocco. So I think we have lots of adventures ahead of us, and both physical and also at the same time intellectual, because we spend two years of library research for every month we dive. Thank you.